Morning, everyone. You in visiting? Welcome. Come on in. We're in the middle of an Exodus series, an Exodus series that today has got a little Christmassy, which is great. Do you know what? One of the beautiful things I love every week uh, preaching from God's Word is that as we read the pages of this Word, no matter the passage, we encounter the living God. And that is a beautiful privilege that we have again this morning to encounter God. This message uh, this morning is actually going to be a summary of all the passages that deal with the priesthood in the book of Exodus. But we're going to focus in on chapter 28, which looks at the high priest's clothing. So if you have your Bible there, open it up to Exodus chapter 28 and get your seatbelt out because we are going to read the whole chapter. Beautiful. And then I'm going to pray. All right, Exodus chapter 28. This is the word of God. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder piece of the ephod, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. 
You shall set it in four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, jacinth, and agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, and onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones, and their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree, and so attach it to the front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge near next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So shall Aaron bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from their hips to their thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him 
and his offspring after him. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you again for the living, breathing word that you have given us this morning. Lord, we find living word on every single page of this book, in every single sentence, and from every single word. And so, Lord, this morning, we ask and pray that you would speak. And pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question for us to think about this morning, and that is, when you think of a priest, what comes to mind? You know, in 2015, the movie Spotlight won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And it was a movie that really chronicled uh, the efforts of the Spotlight group within the Boston Globe newspaper and how they had an extensive journalistic uh, program through which they uncovered systemic abuse within the Roman Catholic Church performed by Roman Catholic priests that had been covered up throughout Boston. Maybe when you think of a priest, what first comes to mind is sexual abuse. In fact, uh, when I was working at St. Vincent's Hospital, we would frequently have priests that would come in. It's a Catholic hospital. And I remember asking one of... uh, the patients at the hospital who was a Roman Catholic priest, what's it like to be a priest? And I remember he said to me, it's very difficult. And I said, why is it difficult? And he said to me, it's difficult because I find myself constantly being called a pedophile. Isn't that sad? Isn't that terrible? Minimally, perhaps when you think of a priest, you think of a confession box and someone sitting in there and telling their sins. Maybe you think of kind of bells and smells, that sort of thing, of being in kind of a big cathedral. Maybe you think something a little more exotic like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with the priest with his hand that's like pulling the heart out. And the guy's like, yeah, and then pull out the heart and it's beating or something like that. (laughs) It's kind of where my mind goes a little bit. Here's a question. Do you ever think of yourself as a priest? You know, last week we looked in an excellent message at the tabernacle, uh, at the way back home to God, back to Eden. Well, this week we're looking at God's appointed means of traveling along the way in a message that, for those that uh, take notes, I've entitled, Our Great High Priest. And that way back home is through the priesthood. Uh, We have three points this morning, really. Uh, The priesthood explained, the priesthood fulfilled, and the priesthood applied. But really one point that I want us to take away from this message, and that is we have a great high priest who's brought us back to God so that we can bring others to God. We have a great high priest who has brought us to God so that we can, in turn, bring others to God. Well, let's dive in with our first point, the priesthood explained. Let's be honest. Our chapter this week is one of those sections we normally quickly pass over. What on earth has all of this talk about clothing got to do with anything? Let's be honest. If you're like me, you're probably sitting here thinking that as well. 
So they liked a little fancy dress. What has that got to do with me? Well, just like last week, friends, this week, every detail is laden with symbolism. Uh, Alec Motyer, a, a Bible scholar, puts it this way in his commentary. He says, in the Bible, clothing is often used as a symbol to express outwardly what the wearer is or ought to be inwardly, in character and also in intention. The garments were used to express not what Aaron was in himself, but what he represented, what he was meant to be, what his office ideally required him to be, even though the human reality may have been so tragically different. The garments are figures of the true. By his robes, the ideal priest is revealed. I think that's so true. Garments in the Bible are meant to be symbols, meant to point to what a person ought to be. And that's what we're going to see in this passage this week. You see, last week we saw the tabernacle was a picture of the way back to God, a symbol of holiness, a symbol of Eden, a symbol of mercy that we find on the mercy seat. And again, if last week the tabernacle was the picture of the way back to God, this week the priesthood is a picture of the means God has given for traveling along the way. You see, the basic role of a priest or the priesthood was to facilitate Israel drawing near to God. See, God had divinely inspired a dwelling place loaded with symbols. And God had promised that he would dwell in the midst of his people. And he had chosen servants to maintain his dwelling place and to represent his people. And these are the priests. Priests are, in essence, mediators between God and man. In our passage, God is establishing a permanent priesthood following in the line of Aaron. Um, In Exodus 6, we learn in the Bible that Moses and Aaron are actually Levites. They are both descendants of Levi. And Levites in general would become, as a tribe, priestly assistants in the temple. That is, they would assist priests in the upkeep of the temple. But Levites descended from Aaron were to become priests, and there would be multiple of them serving in the temple. However, the eldest of Aaron's descendants at any point in time would become the high priest, the first among all of the priests. You see, priests weren't elected, and they did not apply for the position. They were chosen by God to mediate between himself and his people. And to discover how the priesthood mediated between God and man, we need to look no further than their clothing. And that's today's passage. It's all about the high priest Aaron's clothing. Well, his clothing, in fact, symbolizes two different things that we're going to look at as we explain the priesthood. The first is that his clothing symbolized holiness. And we see that in the very first item of clothing in our passage, the ephod. Read with me verse 6. It says this, And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. An ephod is a garment that basically covers you from your shoulders down to your waist, but does not cover the arms at all. 
Notice what this ephod is made of. Gold, blue, purple and scarlet yarns, finely woven. Where have we seen that before? The ephod is to be made of the same material as the tabernacle itself. This is symbolic. This is saying that the wearer ought to be someone who belongs in God's house. Someone of holy status. Notice also, as we've read our passage already, there are no descriptions of this high priest's footwear. That's because most likely, just as God instructed Moses to take his shoes off at the burning bush, priests would serve in the temple barefoot. But not just the ephod, the robe as well. See, the robe was only blue in color, and it was a large rectangle, approximately eight feet in length, with a hole in the middle for the head. And at the bottom of the robe was to be golden bells with pomegranate tassels in between. Pomegranates, a beautiful picture of fertility and blessing, just like the Garden of Eden all over again. But these had an important function. You see, the high priest had the most dangerous job in Israel, and that is that he was the first to enter into God's dwelling place. Why don't you read with me verse 35? It says this, speaking of the robe, and it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, why? So that he does not die. That is what was at stake with the high priest. The bells were to announce his arrival to God. It's akin to guests being announced when they enter into a king's palace, except this priest enters in silence. The bells announcing his arrival. And the robe points to the danger the priest faces in entering the holy dwelling of God himself. You see, the high priest's ephod and his robes point to what type of person he ought to be. He ought to be someone holy, clothed in the precious materials, suited to the precious presence of God. Like the beauty of the Garden of Eden before the fall. Like the glory and beauty of the character and nature of God himself. But not just that his clothing symbolized his holiness, but his clothing symbolized his role as an ambassador. You see, an ambassador is someone who represents a king or a nation to another king or nation. Just like the Australian ambassador to the U.S. is Joe Hockey, who represents all of us, both our government and the people, as he stays and meets with those in authority in the United States. Similarly, a high priest was meant to represent the nation of Israel to the king of glory, Yahweh himself. We see that again in the description of the ephod. Read with me verse 12. It says this, And you shall set the two stones, that is the onyx stones, on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Two precious stones, onyx, one on each shoulder. Six names of six tribes inscribed in detail on each. The high priest enters into the tabernacle as Israel's ambassador, as Israel's representative. 
and he carries them as burdens on his shoulders. Imagine the scene of the the tabernacle with the 12 tribes of Israel camped at all four corners of the compass, three at the north side, three at the east side, three at the south side, three at the west side, the tabernacle in the middle. And in enters the high priest carrying each tribe on his shoulders. But not just the ephod, the breast piece as well. Read with me verse 15. It says, you shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen, you shall make it. The breast piece or pouch of judgment, it says, or ruling or decisions. It's a pouch for decision making. And on the front of this pouch, it had 12 precious stones arranged in four rows, each containing the name of a tribe inscribed onto it. And God had previously said that Israel was to be his treasured possession. And so he gives 12 precious jewels. Notice each unique and precious. And the implication is that every time the high priest enters into the presence of God, he displays every tribe before the living God as a precious and distinct treasure. But notice the specific location of the treasures. Verse 29 says the following. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord, and in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus shall Aaron bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart. Before the Lord regularly. Three times it mentions that those precious stones are to be on the high priest's heart. What is the significance? Well, in Hebrew thinking, the heart is the inner being, and so Aaron is to carry them on his mind, to have them in his heart as he brings them before God. He carries them on his heart as he seeks judgment or rulings for the people. You see, this breast piece was to be a pouch, and in it are two things called Urim and Thummim, which literally means lights and darks. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see the high priest seeking the counsel of God in difficult decisions, often in regards to warfare. And we're not told exactly how this worked, except that it was approximately similar to casting lots. They were probably light and dark. Uh, dark-colored stones, and a priest would pray and ask God a question and then select a stone to receive an answer. But not just the breast piece, which symbolizes his role as an ambassador making decisions 
on behalf of the people of God and carrying them on his heart. More than that, the golden medallion as well. Read with me in verses 36 through to 38. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave it on the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You see, there's this golden plaque that Aaron is to have placed on his turban. Literally a golden rosette, a medallion shaped like a flower or perhaps a leaf, attached by a blue cord onto the turban and written on it, holy to Yahweh. And the significance of this medallion is huge. Read with me verse 38. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You see, Aaron is going to bear the guilt of the nation of Israel as he sacrifices on their behalf. He will act as an ambassador, bringing all the 12 tribes and their sins with him before God. And this medallion is meant to serve as his protection. Why? Well, to answer the question of why, we need to understand that the priesthood had many roles. They had many roles, such as keeping lamps burning in Yahweh's house. You see, the picture is that Yahweh, as God, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so his house is to be lit throughout the whole of the night. Um, They are to bring the word of God to God's people. They are to bring the prayers of the people to God. They are to help the people worship God through incense and peace offerings and tithes. But the most important role of the priesthood was to make atonement for sins of the people. They made atonement, that is an old English word that literally means at one meant. It means the bringing of God and man together as one. And the priests would do this through burnt offerings and guilt offerings and sin offerings. The logic is that defiance against the living God deserves death, but the life of an innocent animal could take the place of the guilty person. This is a gracious gift. These lives are not really equivalent, but symbolic of what forgiveness actually requires, and that is death. But the most important of all the acts of the priesthood was to be found on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Priests would offer multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings for the people. But there was a special role for the high priest. They would take two goats and through casting lots, one goat would be released and the other killed. And the high priest would take its blood all the way into the holiest of holies, the bells jingling to warn of his presence. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the ark itself. Leviticus 16.16 explains the significance of this. It says, thus he, that is the high priest, shall make atonement for the holy place. Why? Because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. You see, the fact that 
the holy living God would dwell in the midst of sinful people, defiles his home. The holiness of the presence of God is so great, he is so pure and beyond anything in existence that the tabernacle in the middle of this uncleanness is constantly being defiled by just the presence of of the people of God. And so the high priest must enter alone into the holiest of holies, representing a sinful people and carrying them on his shoulders and on his heart. How can the high priest enter into the presence of this holy God? Well, first he must offer cleansing sacrifices for his own sins. But then he is gifted with a rosette medallion for his protection. A symbol that God has graciously counted him as holy. Well, in summary, Alec Motyer explains, the garments would express not what Aaron was in himself, but what he represented, what he was meant to be, and what his office ideally required him to be. The high priest was meant to be holy, His garments of gold and blue and purple with pomegranates, beauty and glorious to look at. The high priest was meant to be an ambassador, carrying the people on his shoulders and over his heart, bearing their sins before God in sacrifices. Well, that's the high or the priesthood explained, but now to part two or point two, the priesthood fulfilled. You see, there was a massive problem with the priesthood. They were not the people their clothing represented. They were deeply flawed. Just a few examples. Shortly after this in Exodus 32, as we'll look at next week, Aaron, the high priest, leads his people in the worship of the golden calf, an idol. Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons, in line to become high priests, disobey God's instructions and are killed. Eli in Samuel fails to discipline his sons, that is, in line to become priests and the high priest as well, and experiences the judgment of God. Just a few examples of many. You see, the prophet Zechariah in he prophesied about the state of the priesthood just after their return from exile, and he says the following in a vision he has. He says this in Zechariah 3.1, He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Verse three. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Zechariah sees the state of the priesthood of his day, not with the beauty of garments we've read, but covered with filthy clothes. That word in Hebrew, filthy, literally means vomit or excrement. It's a picture of the true state of the priesthood in his day. We read on in verse 4, it says, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I, that's Zechariah, said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. 
So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. You see, God in Zechariah is promising to take away their sins. He's promising to cleanse and renew his priesthood, to remove their filth and to replace it with brand new clothing. How will this be possible? We find the answer in verse 8. It says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your servants who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Listen, Joshua the high priest and all high priests who have come before you. You are men who are but a sign. You are men who are symbols pointing to someone else. You are men who are symbols pointing to my servant, the branch. That is the branch from the stump of Jesse. That is the descendant of David. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, the high priests throughout the centuries always pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9, the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see the high priest with all their clothing, the ephod, the robe, the breastpiece, the medallion, symbolizing holiness and their role as an ambassador, always pointed to Jesus Christ. The priests were so corrupt that they organized the murder of the Son of God himself. But he didn't need to make an offering for his own sin. No, only an offering for us. He didn't need the clothing to point to his nature. No, he was mocked and beaten and stripped naked for his sacrifice. His sacrifice was so great, it was once for all. He is the high priest who truly carried us on his shoulders and close to his heart. Hebrews 10, 11 says it this way so well. It says, And every priest stands at his daily service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, the sacrifices that were made by these priests were powerless to achieve forgiveness. They were symbols pointing to the cost of our defiance and need for a place taking death. Pointing to the single sacrifice for all time. Enough was this sacrifice to make holy for all time those who come to him. The message of the cross is that his sacrifice would be once and for all for those who come to him by repentance and faith. The message of the cross is that he is no longer dead, but alive, risen in glory, as we've been singing, and coming again soon, and offering new life for those who would come to him through repentance and faith. Once more to be unified and joined back to the living God. You see, the priesthood and the high priest were always deeply flawed, and that's okay because they were only ever symbols. The high priest being a symbol of the great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that, my friends, is the priesthood fulfilled. But not just the priesthood fulfilled, but finally the priesthood applied. I'm sure you'll agree that this is all wonderful news that we have a great high priest who has sanctified us. But here's the question. How does that apply to us today? Well, I have two points of application for us. The first is more familiar, and the second is perhaps less familiar for us. The first point of application is simply this, that we have access to God. Such a familiar point that we lose the wonder of all we have through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. You know, this week, uh, just on Thursday, I was at the funeral of uh, a precious friend of mine, uh, Lise Matedo. Uh, she was in her 40s and uh, she died quite suddenly uh, a week or so ago from cancer. And at the start of the service, as they had brought the coffin in, they led us in a song that just brought me to tears. And that is, How Great Thou Art. Listen to these words. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hands have made, I see the stars... I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. I just thought, because of Jesus, we come to worship the God who made it all. It goes on. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, What joy shall fill my heart. And then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Because you know what struck me as we sang that song at the funeral of my friend? She went home. She went home into the arms of Christ. And that is the amazing access we have right here through our great high priest. Friends, we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to lose the wonder of all we have through our great high priest. You know, just this week, uh, someone was sharing in our uh, gospel community about uh, evangelism and they were basically saying that they, they, they felt inadequate like we all do and that they felt they needed to lift their personal example before they can share Christ with others. And it just made me just pause and ask the question, when we are so quick to, 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 to speak like this, because all of us have experienced feeling that and feeling that sense of inadequacy, what sort of gospel are we pro- proclaiming? We have access to the living God, not by our works, but through the blood of Christ alone. 
As the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. Friends, we have access to God through our great high priest. And so in application, we ought, as the writer of Hebrews says, draw near. Draw near. Come to him. But not just that we have access to God, something familiar in many ways to us, but secondly, We're called to help others access God as well. See, if I asked you a question, what's your primary occupation? What would you say? Some here would say, I'm a doctor, or I'm a stay-at-home mom, or I'm a student, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a banker, or I'm an occupational therapist, or I'm a nurse. That's all true in one sense. But according to the Bible... Your primary occupation is priest of the living God under the great high priest, your Lord Jesus Christ. You know, just as Israel was called to be a nation of priests with a great high priest, so too are we a new nation of priests with a great high priest. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says this, he says, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, but a little confusing. What does it mean to be a priest? I think Tim Chester in his excellent commentary on Exodus, puts it so well. He says, Israel would be a kingdom which, as a whole, had a priestly function similar to the priests of the tabernacle. As a priestly kingdom, Israel was to represent God to the world through mission and represent the world to God through prayer. The world could not see, but the world could see Israel and should have seen his glory in them. That's excellent. We represent God to the world through mission, and we represent the world to God through prayer. That's what it means to be a priest. We represent God to the world through mission, just like the priesthood in their clothes. Our lives are meant to point to the holiness of God. We're meant to carry Christ with us in our hearts and, and to allow his Light to shine forth in love and good deeds to display him to our friends. As priests taught people the truths of God's word, we're to share Christ with others and to call them to faithfulness. But not just that, we're called to represent the world to God through prayer. As the cleansed people, we're we're called to draw near to God and to, to, to bring others to him as well. To offer spiritual sacrifices of incense with our prayers before the holiest of holies. See, imagine how different our lives 
would look if we saw them according to our priestly identity. As a mom, perhaps at home with the kids, seeing yourself as a priest of the living God, your role to, to represent God to your children as you, as you live such a godly life before them, as you share the truths of Christ with them, to represent your children to God as a priest as you bring your children to God in prayer. At school, perhaps, if you're being bored or you're being bullied, but to see yourself as a priest of the living God, that you are to represent Christ to your friends by the way you live and as you share with them, and you're to represent your friends to Christ by bringing them before the holy throne of God in prayer. To see yourself in the workplace as a priest of the living God as you share Christ with your friends in the way you live and as you bring your colleagues before the throne of the living God in prayer. We are priests of God Most High. So the question I wanted to leave you with as we close is, how am I going at living out my priestly calling? How am I going in bringing God to the world as a priest and the world to God? You know, so often, I think we can feel inadequate in this, but here's good news. If you feel inadequate as a priest, you have a great high priest. Draw near to him. Well, in closing, the priesthood explained. Priests were mediators connecting God to man. The high priest's clothing pointed to his role as a holy ambassador. The priesthood fulfilled. It was ultimately fulfilled as the priesthood were not able to bear their roles, but they pointed forward to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus. And the priesthood applied. The priesthood reminds us of both the amazing access we have to God and the priestly calling we have to help others access God as well. We have a great high priest who has brought us to God so that we can bring others to God. Would you join me in praying? But God, we want to thank you so much for the power of your word. It surprises us and delights us in unexpected ways. And we thank you for the beautiful picture of the great high priest we've seen in this passage, a picture that the man who was appointed to the task could never bear, not without failings, because it was a picture that was never about that high priest, Aaron, but that pointed forward to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you that because of the Lord Jesus, we can come straight to the throne of God and find assurance that our pleas will be heard, not because of our merit, because of Christ's merit on our behalf. And thank you, Lord, for the beautiful calling and privilege then we have to be under priests. Priests also serving in the house of God, mediating between God and man, both in the way that we share Christ with others and the way in which we bring others to Christ in prayer. Help us to walk in the good of that, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.